Hey, it's Tony Messia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. We talk with Charlotte leaders about important and interesting issues, and our goal is to make you smarter, introduce you to people with insights about trends, and to help you understand the city you live in just a little bit better. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. I'm very excited to have with me today, John Espy. John is the co-founder and CEO of Defiance Ventures, which describes itself not as a venture capital firm, but as a venture builder that helps tech startups with expertise as well as funding. And that's because John actually has expertise in starting and running technology companies in Charlotte. He founded Level, an IT consulting company that was sold in 2021. He was the chief operating officer of NextGrid, which provides solutions for wireless smart grids. He was the CEO of Lobby CRE, a data management platform for commercial real estate companies. And he was an early employee and eventual COO of Amentra, which was sold to triangle-based Red Hat, which then was sold to IBM. So a lot of a lot of deals going on in the tech space that John's familiar with. So you can see he has some serious, what we would call street cred, I think, on this topic. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the tech sector in Charlotte and about some of the recent fascinating developments in technology. John, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tony. Always a pleasure. Let me set the stage a little bit for our conversation. You know, my background's in business journalism. And from that perch, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, people at startup businesses. And to me, it's really interesting because what you have in this sector is you have people who can see possibilities. You know, they see potential in something that others haven't seen. And it, it just reminds me of that story about Steve Jobs trying to lure John Scully to Apple. You know, he famously told Scully, who was president of Pepsi at the time, that Jobs told him something like, do you want to make sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? And, you know, Apple certainly changed the world. And, and since then, we've had all these tech companies, you know, trying to change the world too. And so people at startups and in tech are Constantly, they have that world-changing outlook. You know, sometimes it, it gets a little over its skis, but they go a little bit far on things that aren't genuinely world-changing. But that's sort of the vision. That's what I think is really cool about this sector and what sets it apart. And so as it relates to Charlotte, what's the tech presence like here and how does it compare to other cities? It really depends on how you're going to define tech. Is the, is the cutting edge technology of what's going to be next being developed in our backyard? It'd be really hard to argue that. But we've got a lot of huge companies. You probably have, have covered quite a few of them in, in your time, right? We've got Wells Fargo has a large presence here. We've got Bank of America. We've got Truist. All, all have major parts of their bank where the entire bank headquartered here. And they spend a lot of money on technology. They hire a lot of employees. They hire a lot of contractors. And as a result, that attracts a lot of Deloitte has a large presence. Accenture has a large presence. Software vendors have to have a presence here because they want to sell to these banks or they want to sell to Duke Energy. We have a tech scene that's kind of a layer below or a layer earlier. We have some fabulous homegrown startups that are starting to get national attention. Avid Exchange probably being the best known and then Passport not far behind. And then you've got companies like, like Pazer who are out there raising a lot of money and, and really doing interesting things. And then there's a whole crop of smaller companies that nobody's heard of, many of them turning over relatively quickly, but some of them gaining success, not necessarily strictly technology companies in the sense of building technology for the sake of technology. You mentioned Red Hat, uh, there's SaaS in, in Raleigh. Those are pure, what I would call enterprise technology companies. They build technology 
or technology companies. Abbott Exchange processes payments. It happens to be that they use a whole lot of technology and they employ a whole lot of technologists. But what you see is there's all sorts of different people at different stages of their career working in technology in Charlotte. And it's been really exciting to see. I moved here in 2005 and it really was a banking town. And I moved here to open an office for a consulting business, Amentra, that, that I was working with. And we actually, ironically enough, didn't even work with, with any of the, the Charlotte-based banks, which is fairly unique. Most companies that have a presence in Charlotte, especially back then, were here to service the, the banks. But I think it's diversified quite a bit since, since I got here. Wait, are banks, do we consider banks to be technology companies now? I mean, I know they have a big tech presence. I mean, they like to say that they are. Is everybody a technology company? Can we say everyone's a tech company? I I mean, I think we could. I mean, we we, we could even argue that a pure print newspaper is using technology of some sort. So so really, it's a a very good point. What is the line between a company that uses technology and a company that, that, that builds technology is certainly blurry. And there are platforms that have come out in the technology world that were created inside of banks. Look, at the end of the day, the banks spend, I've, I've heard numbers ranging from 35 to 45% of the tech spend in our economy in America. And they do a lot of kind of cutting edge things. They solve a lot of problems. They certainly in the world of cybersecurity and in the world of high scalability and in the world of governance, they are driving the direction that a lot of these vendors have to go. What I call them, what I call it across the board, cutting edge technology is the next big data technology going to come from Bank of America. Uh, Probably not. They tend to wait a little bit on some technologies, but in the case of cybersecurity, when you're trying to send money across the world and it needs to be secure and it needs to pass through know your customer and, and other sorts of of compliance, they really wrote the book on a lot of those types of tech applications of technology. How does Charlotte stack up to other cities? Because it strikes me, you know, Charlotte's kind of a striving city. We're constantly wanting to measure ourselves against other cities. We're, you know, we, as you mentioned, there are some homegrown success stories. You mentioned Avid Exchange, you know, you got Lending Tree, you got Red Ventures, you have a few other great, great stories here. But how much is Charlotte actually in that national conversation? You know, I honestly, I don't think that if, if, if you're a VC sitting in New York or Austin or San Francisco, you're saying I've got to have a presence in Charlotte, but that doesn't mean that we aren't making great strides. I think that the access to capital in this city, there's three or four companies that I'm, that I have affiliations with who are raising rounds of funding right now in a fairly challenging time, but they've built solid businesses and they're raising money from outside of Charlotte. So there are investors who know about Charlotte. If you look, it's really interesting because Steve Case, the founder of AOL, he also owns a, a venture capital firm called Revolution Capital. And they have a whole fund called Rise of the Rest. And that's that's this premise that, okay, we know about Austin. We know about San Francisco and, and the Bay Area. Uh, we know about New York. We know that there are some other places, some places where there are just, there's just a critical mass of talent and companies and capital, but there are other cities that are kind of second or third tier cities who have really smart people who have favorable conditions like Charlotte has. And this, this is a fund that actively goes out and tries to find investments 
in second and third and even fourth tier cities. So I would say that we've done a very good job. I would say that we have a lot of work to do, but we've got some very, very real advantages that are going to be hard for other startup scenes to copy the banks, Duke Energy. Those are, th these aren't companies that startups start in necessarily, but when you get to scale, many technology vendors want to be selling to, to those people. And I mentioned just the sheer number of people that those companies hire and the talent that they've got. And as, as a company starts to scale, like an Abbott exchange, my guess is that a very large number of their employees now have come from these bigger companies and maybe want to do something that's a little bit earlier stage, but leverages some of those skill sets that they developed coming up at Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Let's talk a little bit about building a tech business in Charlotte. You know, I saw Michael Prager, the CEO of Abbott exchange. He was interviewed recently on Carolina Business Review, and he said something I thought was kind of interesting. He said that as he was building the company here over the last 20 years or so, that people in the tech sector would always come up to him and say, well, you're not really going to build that in Charlotte, North Carolina, are you? You're going to you're going to move it to Silicon Valley, right? Or you're going to move it to Boston. I'm guessing you've heard similar things in your time here. But, you know, what are the pros and cons? And incidentally, we have an exchange. Prager said, well, look, we think it's a competitive advantage. You know, that we don't have to compete for talent in the way that you might have to in Silicon Valley. You know, we've got a great climate here. We've got a good business environment here. But what are the pros and cons of building a tech business in Charlotte? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's funny, in a, in a prior life, I did some consulting for Gallo, the wine company. Uh, but they were competing with Twitter, Facebook, Salesforce.com. And they had to go outside of the valley to get their talent because they couldn't hire the employees that, that they necessarily wanted to, to build the technology platforms that they needed. If, if you're sitting back and saying, well, I'm going to go work for a winery. Yeah, it's great that I get a case of wine every month. <laughs> uh, and there's other advantages maybe to working for a wine company. But if you're looking for the best stock options and the most experience building the cutting edge platforms, are you going to go work for Gallo or are you going to? look at Salesforce, or are you going to look at a crypto startup that just raised $150 million and is hiring and paying very well? And so I think that's what Prager is probably talking about there is that you, you don't, at, at least when they were doing it in the early days, you didn't have to do that as much. I think it shifted a little bit because of the pandemic. Workers can work remotely. We have lost employees to bigger companies that are paying literally double what they might have paid an employee just the, with the same skill set three or four years ago. So it's got, it's gotten a little bit harder here. I still suspect though, that it's quite a bit easier to hire, to hire certain talent. Now I will say that there are skill sets that you don't find nearly as easily in Charlotte. You can get people to move here for sure, but now you're, you have a slightly different mindset in how you're going about hiring, because I can't just hire you and you're working for me tomorrow. If I'm moving you here, there's a lot of things that go into building tech companies more than just pure tech skills. And I think that's where you might struggle to find talent. But again, people can work remotely and certainly in the tech world, that is much more feasible today. And, and, and again, the pandemic accelerated that. But I think that when you look at the advantages of a Charlotte, we've got a few things that really shine in addition to the big banks and the, and the big energy company and the, some of the suppliers to Duke Energy. There's just a real critical mass of, of bigger businesses here. The, the climate, you kind of alluded to it before. One of the best things you can do to sell somebody on coming to Charlotte, and this doesn't just apply to startups. This is a right from 
the Chamber of Commerce's playbook, right? Hey, why don't you come visit us in March? Get on your plane in Cleveland or Buffalo or New York or wherever you're coming from in the cold north. Come down here and we'll get you a tea time and check out the, you know, check out the weather. And, and there's, it's, it's really hard to overestimate how important that is because. Yeah, that's been basically the economic <laughs> development strategy of this region for a long time, I think. Yeah, a- absolutely. And then when you couple that with just the energy that Charlotte has, right? Everybody can tell when they, when they get out and they walk around South End, even Uptown coming back to life, it, from my perspective, it's not where it was pre-pandemic, but there's an energy there. And, and I felt it when I came here. In 2005, I was traveling here from Northern Virginia, and there, there's just an energy that's in the air. It feels like the pandemic's behind us and we're back in, okay, now we need to start investing in our infrastructure. You had mentioned Charlotte still has some work to do. What work does Charlotte still have to do? What, what do we need for the sector, the tech sector to take off here? I think that we need a few more success stories, and I think we need a really big success story in particular. I think Avid is probably the best example and the biggest one that we've seen so far, but I think we need more of those and I think we need them to be bigger. I I came from DC. DC has had a lot of very successful companies in the internet space, but it isn't just about the money. It's There's a certain mindset that people have when they're around that kind of success. The mindset of somebody who's been through that and seen this massive wealth created out of thin air, it's really hard to explain the way that somebody changes the way they think about solving problems when they've been around that. And you just think about the sheer amount of talent that not everybody sticks around at AOL after the IPO, they go start VCs, they go start other companies. And that's how you really build an ecosystem. And and I think that Avid is the closest we've gotten to that, but we still need something bigger than that. And I don't know what that is right now. Let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you wind up in Charlotte and how did you wind up in the tech sector? So it was a while ago, I knew that I wanted to to move out of the DC area and I had always liked North Carolina, but I liked other places in the South. I wanted to move somewhere to a slightly smaller city. And, and so I knew that I was ready to, to move on. And I just had a, a, an opportunity to come down and do a project for Family Dollar. We We had sold the project out of Northern Virginia and we were staffing it with people traveling, including myself. And I just fell in love with the area. And obviously Charlotte was quite a bit different back then, but you could tell that it was, it was moving in the right direction. And so for me, I probably spent six months traveling Monday through Friday, back and forth, but you know, between Charlotte and DC. And I ended up just talking to other, we were already working with family dollar and, and did a lot of great projects for them. But, and then we, tra- we got landed a deal with Belk, we landed a deal with Lowe's, and then we started working with some, a couple of clients in the Raleigh area. And it was just very natural for us to, to plant a flag. Tell me a little bit about what Defiance Ventures does. There's really two parts to our business. We call it a venture builder. And the idea is that we can invest in companies, but more importantly, we run companies as well. So we have acquired two or three technology platforms. That, that we actively sell and we, we are a software vendor with those businesses. We ended up creating a consulting business that can do a lot of different things for our companies, for companies that we actually invest in. And, but then also it was very natural to just open that up to clients. And that has kind of morphed 
into, it's a technology services business that we sell as a managed service offering. So we're helping companies who want to adopt Amazon web services. We take on a lot of the less sexy, but very difficult and important things related to compliance, cybersecurity, observability, keeping, keeping, keeping the lights on, if you will, so that those companies can focus on value added things that their people want to work on. But we also do investments. I wouldn't, we, we tend to come in fairly early in the process. We're not, and we aren't writing what you would call series A type of checks. We're typically doing investments between a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand dollars. We've invested in nine companies to date. And we, we've done, I think three follow-on investments alongside that right now, we're not doing a whole lot of investing. There's just two things affecting that. Number one, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but also we, our managed service business has really grown in a way that, you know, you, you draw things up on a chalkboard and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And this is one where we drew it up and it really has just taken off in a way that we hoped it would, but I don't think we were really ready, which has meant that we're investing in our own, in our own business. Right. So I was looking at the list of companies that you all have worked with, either as a company or that, that your founders have worked with. And these are some names that some people might recognize, you know, some of the Charlotte ones, you know, Rent Ready, which is, you know, helped manage apartment complexes, Battery Exchange, uh, mobile device charging solutions, Lucid Drone Technologies, using drones to perform commercial window washing. Skip Town, people might have read about that, and Axios Charlotte, you know, dog boarding and dog activities and human activities too, like, a, you know, draft beers on tap, things like Absolutely. that. Uh, <laughs> to You Laundry, a pickup and drop off laundry service. Rabu, which is a short-term rental management company. Map Anything, which uses technologies to map data. It was acquired in 2019 by Salesforce. So that's a that's a pretty broad range. I mean, what do all those companies have in common? Well, it, it's funny because if you leave Map Anything out of there, the companies that you identified, I believe all of them are run by people who, if they're if they're in their thirties, they're just in their thirties. They're all very young and very very impressive people. And, and Map Anything at the time that they started was was run by a young group of people. You know, I think if you try to connect the dots of what we've invested in. There is a common theme typically around companies that are using technology to, to, to disrupt industries. But the real theme is it's people that are, that, that we, myself and Tariq Amin, my, my co-founder, it's, it's mostly companies that we know through our network and through, through our past. And it happens to be that most of the things that we do are related, are related to technology. So that's, that's the most common theme. The other theme is that. We typically, we don't come in when, a, when somebody has drawn up a plan for an app and said, I'm going to build the app, give me $500,000 so I can build it. There are investors who will do that. We, you know, we, we don't like to play in that space. There's just a lot of risk. Building a product doesn't mean that you have product market fit. We want to see somebody who has identified a problem and built a solution. And the solution doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be good, but they have to have sold it. They have to be driving some revenue from it and they have to be thinking about how do I scale it? That's where we want to come in and give a little bit of capital. Normally, if we come in and put in some capital, we can bring in a couple of other investors or we can talk to other investors on behalf of the companies that we're coming into. So we do help out with the capital, but, but what we really try to help out with is there's just a lot of mistakes that 
that we've made ourselves. S certainly we've made more mistakes than we've done good things. And I think that's hugely valuable to the companies that we invest in. It's interesting because you want somebody who you want the entrepreneur to be stubborn in the sense that, Hey, I know it isn't supposed to work this way, but it should work this way. It's better. You, you have to be a little bit stubborn. You have to be willing to go against the grain. You have to be willing to subject yourself to ridicule from your colleagues and especially from your family. You need to also be open-minded and realize that, hey, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And as long as I have enough people around me who have made similar mistakes and I'm willing to listen to them, I'm going to figure it out eventually. It's really hard to stick that landing because you can either be too stubborn and just keep doing it your way all the way into a bankruptcy court, or you can change your mind every five minutes and have no conviction and you're never going to build a product. So you really have to be able to straddle those two. When you make those decisions, is it about the founder? Is it about the entrepreneur or is it about the idea? I mean, is it, is it a question of, okay, here's an idea with potential or, okay, this is a dumb idea. Or yeah. is it about the person building the company? So that, that's the, that is the, the question, right? I mean, that is the number one question that people have. And what we think is that there are bad ideas and there are good ideas. There's a lot of good ideas though. And there's a lot of ideas that are average ideas or they're copies of something, but they're just done so much better. And I think the person that you're dealing with is much more important in my mind than the idea. Now, there are some ideas that are just bad and nobody's ever going to make them work. Um, Can you recall any bad ideas? If you want to name any, <laughs> any bad ideas you've heard? You know, I, I've heard a lot of the things I hear are typically where, where I think ideas get to be bad is when somebody just has a technology solution looking for a problem. That typically can lead to very bad ideas. It's when you have a problem and you come up with a solution. That's what I consider to be a good idea. But that's not enough, right? You can, you, you can have a great idea, but you you give up before you get to the end zone. You know, you, you decide to punt on a fourth down and you don't go for it. And that, that oftentimes happens or you run out of money or let's face it, a lot of these entrepreneurs gain a lot of incredible skills along the way. And then they get an offer to make more money than they've ever made before. And they're dead broke right now. And that's a very hard place to be. So, so, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult mix of, of the two, but to me, the, the, the idea, I don't love the idea of dog walking. I don't love the idea of dog bars. I love Maggie Williams, the founder of Skip Town. And I don't care what Maggie does. I'm going to back her in anything that she does. And the same thing with, with all of her investors. And she, she's a great example where they started doing one thing and it started to work. They tried a couple other things related to that that didn't necessarily work. But then they realized, you know, they, 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 they were able to pivot the company a couple of times. And I think what they've got now is, has become a very, very scalable business model. And, and do I love laundry? I probably never would have thought of myself as a laundry investor, but if you meet Alex and Dan from two you, they're just, they, they started this thing when they were 24 and now they're in their early thirties. And it's really been amazing to be along for the ride and to see the pivot that they were able to take take on during the pandemic. I mean, think about the pandemic. What business could be more disrupted than a home laundry delivery business, right? Because that's all anybody was doing was sitting home doing laundry, right? Exactly. Exactly. Watching Netflix and <laughs> cooking, cooking meals and all that. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, one of the reasons, you know, that I'm excited to talk to you is because there are so many headlines out there and I'd kind of like to run 
rapid fire lightning round. And I'm sure we can talk and their whole podcast probably devoted to all these topics, but just want to go kind of quickly through some of these big topics in, in tech right now, just to help me understand. I think probably a lot of people have a lot of questions about things that are going on. You know, tech stocks this year, they've taken a pretty good beating. Mm -hmm. you know, tech companies are cutting back. They're tightening their belts. We've seen some layoffs. You know, venture investments have dried up. IPOs have dried up. What's going on? I, you know, there's there's quite a bit of factors going on right now that are driving a lot of this, and you can pick which one is the most important. I think we've had an inflationary monetary policy that's being pulled back on, and that creates uncertainty. And I, and I think that drives a lot of what's happening downstream. But couple that with the pandemic. The pa pandemic was very good to tech. It pulled forward and accelerated a lot of trends. A big part of what you're seeing in tech is that a lot of things were pulled forward. Netflix was always going to grow its subscriber base to where it is now, but it grew it a lot faster. Substack, that's an example where there were some things that were pulled forward because people wanted to consume things online. I think in general, what you're seeing now in tech, a lot of it is companies are realizing, even Amazon admitted that they overspent. They're pulling back now. And, and so I think that when you couple the monetary policy and the pullback, the, the subscribers, and it isn't that these companies are shrinking. Zoom isn't shrinking. Amazon isn't shrinking. They're just growing less fast. You talked about the layoffs. What I will say to you about the layoffs, we haven't seen a lot of change in terms of demand for engineering talent. I do think there are layoffs coming for engineers, especially when you look at the FTX implosion and who knows how Lehman that's going to go in terms of taking other ones down. But right now, so far, what we're seeing with Amazon, with Facebook, Twitter's a different animal because there's just a very different dynamic going on there. But some of these, some of these tech giants, salesforce.com is another big one. They're announcing layoffs right now. It's more HR, recruiting, marketing, but they're doubling down on, on hiring the, the, the engineering talent from what we can see so far. Okay. Another hot topic. Yeah. Crypto. Okay. FTX, you know, implodes in less than a week, at least from the outside. A lot sure. of people sort of dancing on the grave of crypto. What's your take on where that's headed? Look, my suspicion, and, I, and I'm certainly no, no crypto expert. I didn't start buying crypto myself until relatively recently, <laughs> but, but I've watched it. We, we have done some projects. We have some clients that are in crypto and, and blockchain more generally, and NFTs are probably captured more of the public's imagination, but there are applications to blockchain that I think are, are in the long run are going to be very, very much a game changer. And I think the same thing with, within the world of crypto. Look, if you go back to when I was in undergrad, I graduated in 2000, there were web companies that raised a lot of money, grabbed a lot of headlines, built amazing teams and then failed miserably and spectacularly. But the companies that kept at it, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, there are plenty of companies that were part of the web's early rise, and then they got it right in web 2.0. And I suspect the same thing's going to happen inside of crypto. It's, it's just too big of an asset class. All right, next hot topic, the metaverse. What's going on with that? Where's that headed? It, it's really interesting because we're, we're, get, we're moving this direction, right? Everybody can see that we are moving to a more virtualized world. And I think Facebook has started to articulate a vision that's a little bit more comprehensive and they've got a lot of the pieces to do it. I personally suspect that they won't end up spending as much money for as long as they did. They, they may end up finding some real breakthroughs and 
they may find the killer application. I do think that the amount of money that they're spending and the resources that they can bring to bear is going to accelerate it. Whether they're going to be uh, Apple of the VR world or not, who knows? It, it, I'd, I've never seen a precedent where somebody was able to say, okay, we're going to take this other thing that we've built and completely transition and take over the next paradigm. Companies try and Oracle ruled the relational database world, but nothing else. Uh, Microsoft ruled the office, very little else out, outside of office and, and Windows. Uh, they missed mobile, they missed social, you know, they missed qu quite a few things. And it's not because they're not good people and they don't have a lot of money. It's just, I don't, I think it's very difficult when you've got the big thing to try to build the next big thing. Google, you could argue never really got, they were able to make money on mobile, but at the end of the day, they're still selling ads on their search engine is, is really driving the profit. So it'll be interesting to see if Facebook can do it. They learned a lot of lessons the, the hard way in, in trying to build mobile products before, and they had to admit that they missed it. But if you think about what they're trying to solve, the t I mean, you, the technology on the device itself has a long way to go. It's come a long way. It's, it's fascinating to see that the, just the sheer resources that, that Facebook is, is pumping into this thing. Okay. Next topic. Artificial intelligence, where's that headed? So AI is an interesting one because I think that it's probably in many ways further along than most people realize. I think you've probably had phone conversations that you didn't realize were powered by AI. And that's the, that's the beauty of AI. When it, when it works correctly, you don't necessarily know that that's what you're dealing with. There's still a lot of debate within the industry on, as an example, I, I'm a big believer that the biggest advantage that Tesla has right now is that they've trained these huge AI models on massive data sets. And they're so far ahead of everybody else that it's hard to imagine anybody being able to do self-driving to the extent that, that they do. And it may very well end up being because of that, a winner take all market where there's one provider that provides the self-driving AI technology for everybody else, but it may not be that. What we are seeing is that there are, there are open source technologies that are being developed by a lot of these companies that are dramatically driving down the cost of doing AI at scale. And so I don't know which way I think it's gonna break. Is it gonna be lots of winner take all markets? I could definitely see that happening. I could also see it becoming so cheap and commoditized that it's just something that we take for granted. Great. Well, that's a wrap. John, thanks for sharing your insights. Awesome. Thanks, Tony, really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com.